share. Okay, well, let's jump into the meat of our message today. We are in a series called Sight. This is kind of a topical series for us. Uh, which means this is we're not resting in one particular piece of scripture where we're kind of marinating in it and, and getting some context. We're, we're jumping around from in the word from place to place to try to bring meaning to important topics in our life. And, and so we're trying to find meaning in the area of spiritual sight today. Our normal rhythm here is that we would take a piece of scripture and then we would just kind of get a deeper context. But, but it's important that we cover topics that are relevant from, for you and I. Uh, from time to time. And so this morning we're, we're answering this question. How does God see me? When God looks at you, what does he see? And the primary answer to that question, the primary perspective to that answer is rooted in the answer that we talked about last week, answering the question, how do I rightly see God. Your ability to have an accurate viewpoint of who God is will inform to some degree how you are able to see yourself. And so last week, we spoke about this prevailing thought that we should have about God, very simply that he is better than we think he is, that he is just better at love than we think he is. He's better at grace than we think he is. He's better at forgiveness. He's better at mercy. He's better at compassion. He's better at ruling. He's better at sacrifice. He's better than your definition. He's better than my definition. He's better than your sin. He's better than your habit. He's better than your addiction. He's better than self. God is better than anything. And so that is the definition that we are to carry with God. And that's, the, that's a perspective that we have to have in this topic in conversation as well. We have to have higher thoughts about God than we do if we're ever going to really see and love and value and know how he sees us. We have to elevate him in our beliefs and understanding. And inversely, we have to lower our own opinions and feelings about ourselves. And that's not like an indictment on worth or value for the, for the human, for the individual. Simply, it is created because our God is so much greater than we are that we should think less of ourselves. And so as long as we live, listen, this is the problem, as long as we live on this side of heaven, we are going to walk on this broken earth, this imperfect world, with imperfect people, and imperfect bodies, with imperfect thoughts. And we, yes, always have Christ as believers in faith. He's always with us, but we will not really experience his fullness and his grandness and his completeness until we're with him someday in eternity. And up to that point in this side of eternity, you will always face a battle by the schemes of the world that as we armor ourselves up with the spirit and the truth of God, that there is a battle that the world and yourself is going to put your way that's going to try to convince you you are not who God sees you to be. And so we want to speak very accurately today about how we define ourselves. Jesus says this in Matthew 6. He says that the eye is the lamp of the body. And so if your eye is healthy, your whole body will be full of light. He's not talking about a physical eye or a physical light, but rather he's talking about spiritual insight, about seeing yourself with a new vision, a spiritual vision. The Bible also says in Proverbs that as a man thinks in his heart, so he is. 
As a man thinks in his heart, so he is. And so what you believe in here in your heart, this inner moral, intellectual, emotional sinner, this person that defines you, this, this substance that defines you, what you think about yourself in here is what absolutely you will create your identity from. It is what you will learn to associate yourself with. And those beliefs and those knowledge and that thinking is created primarily by how we interact with the world and how the world interacts with us. What people say about you, what they believe about you, your experiences that you've gone in life, your problems that you've gone through in life, those are the things that begin to speak into that heart where you begin to define who you are. If we would just look at our heart maybe as this piece of luggage, and this is my wife's luggage, I tend to pack with Walmart sacks, uh, that's just kind of my mode of transportation and packing. And so if this luggage is your heart, whatever you pack in it is where you will begin to create your identity from. Whatever you pack in that. We have all grown up with like distorted images of ourselves and even our parents' best efforts and godly efforts. There's, there's distortion in it. We have grown up with distorted images of ourselves from other people, from our problems, from our environments. Many of you in this room were marked by things that people said to you early in your childhood, things that people said about you when you were teenagers, things that you experienced. We've all heard people say things that were inappropriate that we have allowed to be packed into our hearts that for some reason or another we've allowed to define us. And at some point along the way, we had enough people speak into us that we just shut it. And we said, this is who I am. This must be who I am. And it doesn't matter what anybody else says about us, what I say about you, or what God says about you. You already know who you are. And so listen, I don't care what you have put into this place. Nothing will be able to speak to your value, your purpose, your worth, and your position until you're able in vulnerability, humility, and weakness surrender, to open this thing back up and to take the things that you believe about yourself and ask yourself the question, am I going to allow myself to be defined by the world and its temperament and its brokenness and its cruelty? Or am I going to choose to be defined by a God who's better than I think he is? We have to unpack the things that have created poor belief in our lives, because your heart will be ultimately what defines you. Jesus says in Matthew 12, a good, a good man out of the good treasures of his heart brings forth good things, and an evil, uh, an evil man out of the evil treasures of his heart brings out evil things. The way that we think creates the way that we act. Our beliefs determine our behavior. The problem for a lot of us is that we have just believed so many things that are untrue about ourselves that we are operating with accurate and misinformation about who we really are. One of the things uh, in a course called Men's Fraternity here, it's a course that I highly recommend for any 
guy in this room, but one of the things that the Course talks about is that a man who's unwilling to unpack his past and deal with the themes and the pains there can never become an authentic man. And the same is true for us believers. Unless we are willing to unpack the things in our life and embrace and change and think about the themes and the pain that were there, we will never be able to authentically see how God sees us. And that's hard work. And we invite you to not just do that yourself, to bring somebody you trust in that process as well. We have to begin to see ourselves as God sees us. It's the most important thing that we could do. And so today, I'm just asking you, would you trust me enough? Would you trust God enough to maybe open that up a little bit? And that maybe he could speak some things to you today that might challenge the way that you even think about yourself? Would you trust enough today to do that? This message could be one of the most important messages of your life. If you really grasp and understand what it means to be seen by God and how God sees you, it will change your life. Jesus said that the tr- you know the truth and the truth will set you free. The truth will set you free. So when we learn to see ourselves as the way God sees us, it makes literally all the difference in the world. And today we're gonna unpack five different viewpoints that God sees you in. They're not all the things that God sees you as, but they are five really important things that God sees you as. If you've accepted Jesus Christ as your savior, if you've accepted his grace in your life, God sees you very, very, very differently than you see yourself. And it's our prayer here that the Lord would reveal more about who he is, and in doing that, that you would understand more about who you are through his lens. And so how does God see us? Right? How does God see us, you and I? Well, the first thing that we want to talk about today is that God sees you as acceptable. God sees you as acceptable. One of the most difficult things in our life is to face this term rejection. Many of us were rejected by a parent or a spouse, a boyfriend, a girlfriend, a teacher. Nothing hurts us more than rejection. And so as a result, what we often do is we live our lives doing everything that we can do to be accepted, to avoid rejection. I remember that specifically in my life. Just, I just wanted to be Accepted. I wanted to do the things that people would value and would think would be noble. We want to be accepted more than anything else in our life. We want to be accepted from our parents. We want to be accepted from our peers. We want to be accepted by our neighbors. We want to be accepted by people that we respect, by people that we envy. We even want to be respected by people we don't even like. We want to be accepted by them as well. And so we We get things that we don't need with money that we don't have to impress people we don't know. Because we want to be accepted. Why? Because it's real, isn't it? It drives the kind of clothes that you wear, the kind of car that you drive, the kind of house that you buy, the kind of way that you present yourself on social media, what you post there. It drives your career choices, what you say about yourself. So many decisions in our life are based upon our desire for approval and desire to be accepted, to be recognized, to be significant. And so listen, there's a myth about acceptance that you need to understand. 
There's a myth that we believe that if, if we were just perfect, that if people would just see me as perfect, then they would really accept me. If I just was perfect, then they would accept me. And so that creates, I'm just going to wear a mask and I'm going to pretend like I have it all together, that I'm balanced, noble in my thoughts, and then they'll accept me. Three things I want to speak to that. Number one is, look, no one's buying that. (laughs) Are you buying that? That you're perfect? No one's buying that. Two, you're never going to be perfect. Period. You're never going to be perfect. And three, if you were perfect, you still wouldn't be accepted by everybody. Because acceptance has nothing to do with how perfect you are. It has everything to do with the other person's maturity and love. And listen, Jesus Christ was the most perfect person that has ever lived on this world. But he was a man that was rejected and of great sorrow. He was despised by men. The most perfect person in the world was not liked by everybody. And so what does that say about you? It says you can't please everybody, right? As soon as you try to please crowd A, crowd B gets upset with you. God experiences this himself. I mean, there's somebody right now praying for rain. But I know that there are people in this room that are praying for some sunshine. And so who does God listen to? Only a fool would try to do what even God can't do. To be pleased and accepted by everybody. But that doesn't mean that it's not there, right? We all have this undeniable border underneath of all of this. A desire to be accepted, loved, valued. And so look, your God said a long time ago that he settled that for you. God said a long time ago, I settled that for you. In Titus 3, these words are recorded. He said he saved us not because of our works done by us in righteousness, but according to his own mercy. By the washing of regeneration and renewal of the Holy Spirit, whom he poured out on us richly through Jesus Christ, our Savior, so that being justified by his grace, we might become heirs according to the hope of eternal life. What saved you? Mercy. Not anything that you did. What justified you? Grace. God has seen you and said, I accept you, not because of anything else that you've done, but because it's my nature, it's my character, it's who I am. I'm going to do it for you. It's not about anything that you could do. And it's not about that he accepted you. Listen to these verses in 1 Peter. He didn't just accept you. It says that he chose you. In 1 Peter 2, it says, but you are a chosen race, a royal priesthood, a holy nation, a people for his own possession, that you may proclaim the excellencies of him who called you out of darkness into his marvelous light. That God looked at you and said, you, I want you on my team. You, I pick you. I don't care what you see in yourself. I don't care what you think of yourself. I'm picking you. I'm accepting you. I chose you in your faith to be mine. And you can't do anything about it. Can't do anything about it. So God not only sees us as acceptable, but he also sees us as valuable. Friends, maybe you need to hear that today, that God sees you as valuable. If you're ever going to see the way, yourself the way that God sees you, you're going to have to see yourself with value. You're not just acceptable, you're valuable. You're worth a whole lot. 
In the Bible, in Luke 12, in the Gospel of Luke, it says, God, Consider the ravens. They neither snow or sow nor reap. They have neither storehouses nor barns, and yet God feeds them. Of course, how much more value are you than the birds? And so God cares about the little bitty birds. And if he cares about them, he certainly is going to take care of you because you are more valuable to him. And so let me ask this question to you. How much do you think you're worth? How much do you think you're worth? I'm not talking about your net worth. I'm talking about your self-worth. Your values have nothing to do with whether you're rich or not. Your values and your self-worth are thankfully not tied together. If that were the case, then they would be gone in an instant. Better yet, what creates value? What creates value? What makes something valuable? Well, I see it as two things. What makes something valuable? Well, the thing that that thing belongs to makes it valuable. Have you ever been in an auction and seen things owned by a celebrity? What's worth more money, a napkin or a napkin used by Johnny Depp? (laughs) Neither. What's more valuable, a pair of tennis shoes or the same tennis shoes owned by Michael Jordan? What's more valuable, a car or the same car that was driven by the Queen of England? Value is attached by who that item belongs to. And so whether you know this or not, do you understand that you belong to God? In 1 John, it says, Little children, you are from God and have overcome them. For he who is in you is greater than he who is in the world. Like, it doesn't get any bigger than that, friends. You belong to God. He created you. He died for you. He saved you. You belong to him. And can you imagine your worth in knowing that? The second thing that determines value is what somebody's willing to pay for. What determines value on somebody's house? Well, what somebody's willing to pay for it. It takes one buyer. What determines the value on your car or a rare baseball card or anything else in your life? What determines value? It's what somebody else is willing to pay for it. And so what is somebody willing to pay for you? A whole lot. 1 Corinthians says that you were bought with a price. Do not become bondservants or slaves of men. The greatest ransom ever paid was paid for you. And so the people that you grew up with that told you you didn't have value, that you were worthless, that they're just wrong. They are just wrong. You have great value. If God says that you have value, it doesn't matter what anybody else has to say to you. He says that you are precious to me. You are my child, son and daughter of a king whose inheritance <laughs> is mind-blowing. You are valuable in his eyes. You're acceptable in in his eyes. And listen, God sees you as lovable. Not puppy dog lovable. Oh, that's a cute puppy. He's lovable. But you are worthy of love. You are worthy of love. God sees you not as acceptable, not just as valuable, but as lovable with a deep love, an agape love that the Bible talks about, a deep, unconditional, certain love that's sacrificial. John 3, 16, the most famous verse probably in all of Scripture. For God so loved the world that he gave his one and only Son, that whoever believes in him shall not perish, but have everlasting life. God so loved the world. It didn't say that God so loved beautiful people. 
It doesn't say that God so loved religious people. It doesn't say that God loved the cool people or just Notre Dame fans. He doesn't say that God just loves the intelligent. It says that God so loved the world. And if that's the case, there's no possibility that you or I or anything else in all of creation is deemed unlovable. You are lovable by a God. God says in Isaiah that the mountains, hills may crumble, but my love for you will never end. So says the Lord who loves you. Two characteristics that define the love of God. It's consistent and it's unconditional. And if God said he loved you, he loved you. He loves you because he is love and you have nothing that you can do to to deal with it. You don't get to say how God feels about you. God has already predetermined that and says, I love you. You don't get to change that. It is his nature to love. It's who he is. So hear me today to know that you are worthy of love. The fourth way that God sees you is that God sees you as forgivable. Maybe you have things in your life that you think, no way, not that. We, we use this term forgiveness all the time in church, and maybe you've just heard it so much that you've kind of passed over it. You don't understand how richly and deeply that we've been forgiven. Paul writes this in Ephesians. It's Ephesians 1. He said, even as he chose us in him before the foundation of the world. That's a powerful statement. That we should be holy and blameless before him. In love, he predestined us for adoption to himself as sons through Jesus Christ, according to the purpose of his will, to the praise of his glorious grace, with which we have been blessed, has been blessed us in the beloved Christ. In him we have redemption through his blood, the forgiveness of our trespasses, according to the richness of of riches of his grace, which has, he lavished upon us in all wisdom and insight. Forgiveness is not according to our trespasses, but according to his grace for us. What an incredible verse that tells us how much our Father is willing to forgive this. Maybe you believe that he is not willing to, to forgive everything in your life, that he's not willing to deal with the things that you've done in the past. But listen, God says that before the foundations of the earth, that he saw the worst that you could do, and he said, I'm going to forgive it. There's not a moment in God's life where he said, well, I didn't see that coming. Not a moment that he didn't say, I'm willing I'm not willing to forgive that. That's the good news. In our reception of God's grace and mercy, Christ wipes away our sins. They're erased. God does not think about it anymore. And we sometimes create this thought process that God just holds on to things, that he holds on to these grudges, that God has seen the things in my past, and like he's holding on to those things. That's not what the Lord does. It says that I am the God who forgives your sins. I do this because I am who I am. I will not hold your sins against you, your sins against you. You and I might hold on to a grudge. God does not hold on to the grudge. He says that your sins are removed from you as far as the east is from the west. He is not in heaven with index cards of your sin going, hey, you remember what he did at eight? That's junk. When's he going to deal with that? No, God doesn't rehearse your sins. He releases them. They are no more to him. You are forgivable in the love of Christ. There is no condemnation in Christ Jesus. Forgivable. 
Then there's the, the fifth way that God sees you. God sees you as capable. Maybe you don't think that you're capable, but God sees you as capable. Second Corinthians, such is the confidence that we have through Christ towards God. Not that we are sufficient in ourselves to claim anything as coming from us, but our sufficiency is from God. Your weakness is made strong through Christ. Your efforts are made better through Christ. We might not be able to do all the things that we hope through to do in our lives, but Christ is. Christ is. And so listen, you need to unpack and reject the things that people have said to you in your life that have said that you can't do it. I don't care what anybody else believes about you. God says that you're capable, that you can overcome through him, and he has created you with a purpose, and he has a mission for you. He has a plan for you. In Hebrews 4, it says this, or excuse me, Philippians 4, it says, I know how to be brought low, this is Paul talking, and I know how to abound in any and every circumstance. I have learned the secret of facing plenty and hunger, abundance and need, because I can do all things through him who strengthens me. It is through God's word, it's through himself that you are made capable. The whole story of God in scripture is him using broken and unqualified people who simply have a faith and a trust in him to do unordinary astronomical things. It is not about how talented you are or how skilled you are. It is about how much faith that you're willing to put in God that he will do a work in you that is better than yourself. So in the eyes of Christ, you are capable. So friends, maybe you need to hear that today. That you are acceptable, that you are valuable, that you are lovable, you are forgivable, and you are capable. Maybe you need to remind yourself of that. And maybe you need to take those perspectives into your own life and open this thing back up and say for yourself, am I going to determine who I am by what the world and its temperament and its cruelty and its people say about me? Or am I going to allow my perspective and my identity to be defined by a God that's better than I think he is? A God that's higher than anything that I could ever known. And so that's our challenge today. And it's not an easy challenge. Listen, so much of us have been, so many of us have been robbed from a flourishing in life, from a, a, our blessing in life of, of just faith with God because you have inaccurate views of how God sees you. And my prayer this week would, would be that you would have the courage to say, why do I believe that? And does God believe that? And so as we take this time to praise our King I want to invite you just to have some moments of reflection in your heart um, to, to just consider, God, what am I believing about myself that isn't what you say about me? And that you would just come together here to, and we would just worship our king and we would just surrender all of those things to him and embrace what it is that he has to say. Let's pray.
for us. And so we invite you, if you need to, just to have a moment of prayer. If you need somebody to pray over you today, whether it's over this, the way that you view yourself, or anything else, but let us stand together and worship God together.